This podcast is not personal financial advice. You're listening to the Aussie Firebug Podcast, the financial independence podcast for Australians. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. Today is a bit of a sad one. I'm going to be talking about an article that I've just published on the blog today, and the title is ASIC Crush Independent Content Creators and the End of Ask Firebug Fridays. Just a quick update for everyone as well. The podcast has been in a bit of a hibernation for a few weeks or even months now. And the reason for this is I've had a lot of family commitments and work. Plus, with the whole ASIC releasing their guidelines, I was just unsure about how to move forward and I wanted to just sit back and see how everyone else reacted. Just know that I've still been recording podcasts in the background though, and I look forward to getting back into a regular schedule. Let's get into it. Sadly, after much thought and consideration, I've decided to end my Ask Firebug Friday segment after the announcement from Australia's financial services regulator. On the 21st of March, 2022, ASIC, which stands for the Australian Securities and Investments Commission, published new guidelines for discussing financial products and services online. These new guidelines have major implications for content creators in the fire and personal finance communities. This is why I wanted to share my thoughts and opinions on these new guidelines and what they mean for Aussie Firebug moving forward. Okay, let's dig into the what. What is actually happening? In a nutshell, ASIC is cracking down on unlicensed creators who they think are giving financial advice or are seen to be influencing their audience. Their definitions and examples of what constitutes influencing are clear as mud. And I actually have a screenshot and a link to the specific article on ASIC. If you want to go check it out, I'll leave a link in the show notes. They don't even give a clear answer to what defines an influencer either, having followers in the thousands apparently, but you know, no one really knows because there's no official documentation or at least I haven't seen it. So who is an official follower anyway? Someone who listens to an episode of your podcast, YouTube channel, uh, an email subscriber, a Twitter follower, no one knows. Now, you're probably thinking like, I've seen a lot of people online take this stance and it's a pretty um, you know normal one to take. You're probably thinking, yeah, but- they're only targeting, you know, people giving specific or dangerous advice, right? Well, you're in for a rude shock. I've got a quote and I've got a, a screenshot of a an article from the AFR.com and they interview an ASIC representative. And I'm going to uh, read out one of the quotes here. So, quote, it is very possible that discussing your own investment decisions or strategies could, in fact, influence one of your followers or be reasonably regarded as intending to influence one of your followers to buy or sell a financial product, end quote. I mean, we can't even discuss our own investment decisions or strategies apparently. And as bad as that is, it actually gets worse. From the same article, and again, I've got a link to the article on the website, on the blog, if you want to go check it out. And I've also got screenshots In the same article, there is another quote, and I quote, even discussing a broad range of financial products such as shares or ETFs rather than specific assets could be deemed financial advice and require a license, the official said, end quote. (sighs) So discussing financial products online such as shares or ETFs without a license is now illegal. We can't even talk about ETFs now. I don't know about you guys, but to me, this is is starting to be a big deal here. 
stopping people from discussing ETFs is starting to drift into the totalitarianism type of conversation. And I don't say that lightly, but a government that restricts people's right to discuss certain financial products under the guise of it's for your own good starts to remind me of that book that George Orwell once wrote. Now, maybe you're not worried about these specific new guidelines, but it's the precedent that they set that should cause you alarm. No one really cares about anything until it impacts them, unfortunately. But what would you say if one day ASIC released guidelines prohibiting unlicensed parents from talking about money and investing with their children? Now, to be fair, that's perhaps hyperbole, but these new guidelines are one step closer to that dystopian future, in my opinion. The other issue is that there are so many questions and definitions that have been deliberately left unanswered or are so vague that no meaningful conclusion can be drawn. But let's move on. Okay, let's talk about the why now. Why is this happening? Why did they feel compelled to release these new guidelines? Let's give ASIC the benefit of the doubt and say these new guidelines were introduced to protect investors. This is a good thing. If an investor loses money after receiving bad advice from an AFS, which stands for Australian Financial Services Licensed Professional, theoretically, they should have a pathway to recoup some of those losses. Whereas if an investor loses money after receiving bad advice from someone on TikTok, bad luck. AFS licensees have to adhere to a set of minimum requirements which provide important protections for investors if something goes wrong, also known as a lot of expensive insurances. With the explosion of online financial content in the last few years, it makes sense for ASIC to take a closer look at what's going on. Now, most content creators are producing honest, useful stuff, but I have to admit that there is a bit of a trend going on where content creators are clearly making content with the primary uh, motive to be financial. They're, they're looking for monetary benefits. Now, you guys probably know what I'm talking about. You've seen it a hundred times before. Creating content for the hell of creating content just to stay fresh in the algorithm or to make sure their channel stays fresh releasing rehash stuff every second day, basically repeating what they've already said a hundred times, et cetera, et cetera. If content creators are receiving a monetary benefit, there will always be some bias no matter what. And I have a quote in the article that I really love. It's by Charlie Munger, who's the business partner of Warren Buffett, the very famous US investor. And the quote is, show me the incentive and I will show you the outcome. And I love this quote and it's highly applicable in this situation. Content creators that make money from affiliates and or sponsors will always have a conflict of interest no matter how small. And by the way, this applies to me too, guys. I try my best to be as unbiased as I can be, but we all have some sort of bias no matter what, even sometimes at the subconscious level. We don't even know what's happening. This is especially true when you're getting kickbacks. So I think the why behind ASIC's new guidelines is fair enough and makes a lot of sense viewed from this angle. Having said all that though, the way ASIC has chosen to crack down on these bad actors is heavy-handed at best and oppressive at worst. Okay, let's have a look at the how now. ASIC's solution to regulate an influx of online financial content creators is to make them pay for a license, which can cost tens of thousands of dollars a year or threaten litigation to the tune of over a million dollars in fines or up to five years of jail. To say that this is harsh 
would be putting it lightly. To put that into perspective, Australian gangster Mick Gatto, does everyone remember Mick Gatto, the, the underbelly series? He has served less jail time than the maximum sentence ASIC can dish out. I'm going to say that again. A financial content creator might serve more jail time for talking about ETFs than Mick Gatto, someone that's killed people. I'm starting to think we're losing the plot here. This is lazy policy personified. Let's recap so far. ASIC's solution to a few bad apples within a thriving community of online financial content creators is an all-encompassing blanket rule that will crush independent media. It's sort of like dropping a nuclear bomb to get rid of an ant's nest in the backyard. Overkill doesn't even come close to what these new guidelines are, and the only people who are going to be left standing are the big media corporations that can afford to pay the license fee, which can be as high as $30,000 a year. Here's an idea. Why didn't ASIC just come out and say, that anyone who monetizes online financial content needs to hold an AFS license. It's a lot more specific and tangible, and I think it would weed out people who are only in it for the for the money pretty bloody quickly, don't you think? But no, in typical government fashion, the corporate watchdog releases new guidelines that are so vague and light on detail that 99% of online financial content creators are caught in the crosshairs. Now, I understand resourcing constraints and ASIC doesn't have the time to monitor everyone and everything, but surely there's a there's a happy middle ground we can come to here. A few bad apples shouldn't ruin it for everyone. Is the cure worse than the disease? The public opinion of the financial sector has been in tatters ever since the Royal Commission in 2017. It probably was in tatters uh, before then, but I'm just going to use that as the, the tipping point. ASIC released a report in 2019 uh, that was titled Financial Advice, What Consumers Really Think, which found that 49% of those who were surveyed didn't get advice because they thought advisors were more interested in making money for themselves. On the other hand, 35% didn't get advice because the costs were too high. And I've got a screenshot and I've got a link to the report in the article as well. I'll put in the show notes. A lot of people are being priced out of financial advice and even more don't trust financial planners. The data backs this up time and time again. I'm not saying regulation is a bad thing, but I think these new guidelines are doing more harm than good. The truth of the matter is that legislators have made the cost of offering financial advice so high that the people who need it the most can rarely afford it. I mean, here's a question. Who should we be prioritizing? The 22-year-old that's just finished her marketing degree and is trying to make some good financial decisions, set herself up in life, set herself up for the future, or the 64-year-old multi-millionaire boomer who owns seven investment properties. Now, both deserve the access to financial advice, but who should we be prioritizing is my question. Why do the legislators think online financial content creators are so popular? We're filling a gap in the market that has been created largely because of overregulation. Now, some regulation is needed, of course, but these new guidelines are going to wipe out good educational material that helps bridge the gap between, I don't know anything at all, to, I feel confident discussing my financial future with a professional. That's where we content creators thrive. We make stuff relatable and give personality to what otherwise can be a dry topic. Okay, let's talk casualties because these new guidelines have already taken some really good people out. 
One of my favorite podcasts, Fire and Chill, decided to shut down in April because of these new guidelines. Now, this is a podcast that averaged 4.8 out of 5, 4.8 out of 5, that's pretty good, on 284 ratings on iTunes and has conservatively helped tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of Aussies with financial literacy. Here were two guys making relatable content for free that had great reviews. Gone. Another victim of these new guidelines was John Palmer from the very popular YouTube channel Invest for the Future, where John spoke about investing fundamentals, drawing from his decades of experience, and never charge any money for his videos. And I have a quote here from John. I think it was in his last video that he put up before he took a whole bunch of videos down. And it said, I know everyone would still like the videos to be there, but I just can't afford to take the risk, end quote. Family Finance is another creator that had to delete a whole bunch of content. She now can no longer give an opinion on financial products. The Lifelong Shuffle blog is another one that has gone into hibernation because of these new guidelines. And I could go on and on showing other examples of great content creators that have been impacted by these new guidelines, but I think you get the point. These new guidelines are inadvertently snagging 99% of fantastic, freely available, Australian-specific resources. And that's very important, Australian-specific resources. They don't impact international resources whatsoever. Now, I've also included a screenshot of another AFR article that has a title, These Young Investors Don't Want Finfluencers to Go, which already tells us what we already know. Many young investors don't trust the financial industry and are looking for alternatives. As I've previously mentioned, 49% of Aussies don't get advice because they think they're being ripped off and 35% think it's too expensive. You would think, I mean, logically thinking, wouldn't ASIC put more time and energy into cracking down or improving the professional industry where the public has clearly lost trust? But no, ASIC is targeting online financial content creators who have amazing rapport within their communities that don't charge a single dollar. I just don't get it. And I want to repeat this point because it's it's really important. I want to hammer home this point. Many young people have lost faith and can't afford advice in an industry that ASIC regulate, largely due to over-regulation. Content creators start to fill this void and collectively rack up millions of views, millions of downloads, millions of sessions from a generation hungry for financial knowledge. The numbers don't lie. If people didn't want what the content creators were making, they wouldn't watch, listen, or read. Shouldn't we want financial education to be accessible for everyone and not just those who can afford it? More regulation sounds good in theory, but the data suggests that it isn't working. I have no doubt in my mind, no doubt, that ASIC have the best intentions and they had the best intentions when they came up with these new guidelines. It's not like I think that they're, I'm not a conspiracy theorist that they're bad people or anything. I honestly believe that they had the best intentions. But as the old Portuguese proverb goes, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Rules for thee, but not for me. One of my biggest gripes with this whole fiasco is the hypocrisy. ASIC's position is that unlicensed content creators might influence investors to make costly decisions, yet ASIC themselves are publishing content that's detrimental to wealth creation. 
Case in point, the Money Smart website. Now, Money Smart is a federal government website brought to you by guess who? ASIC. Now, to be fair, they have lots of great free resources and tools, and I've often linked to their website many times before, but their advice for financial fees is downright terrible. And I've put a screenshot and I've also linked to a very interesting case study that we're going to talk about just now. So Money Smart presents a case study about a bloke named Rhett who has around about $400,000 to invest, including super. I won't go into all the details. You can read it um, on the article. I've got the link to the, to the case study. But the important part is what they've published as the fees for the case study. And I want to remind you that the title for this article is Financial Advice Costs Pay the Right Price for the Right Financial Advice. That's the title. So let's dig into the numbers. Rhett's total fees for the first year, and remember he had $400,000 to invest, including super, Rhett's total fees for the first year are $14,000. This is made up of $7,660 for the financial advisor, $3,000 for the investment platform, and $3,340 for the product issuer, which includes full yearly insurance premiums. $14,000 in fees is 3.5% of Rhett's original investment. Worse still, this case study estimates investment fees and insurance premiums to be $9,000 per year ongoing perpetually, and 2,000 of that being the fees for financial advice regardless of changes needed to be made or not. All up, that's an ongoing fee of 2.25%. Now, here's my issue with all that. 90% of people will have no idea if 2.25% is high or low because they have no reference point. If you're coming forget that you're in the fire community, pretend you're an outsider and you're looking for information, you're not going to know if 2.25% is high or low, which makes advice like this from a government-run website so insidious. How on earth is ASIC justifying this content when they know better than most that normalizing these fees serves to further line the pockets of advisors and product issuers rather than the investor? This is a huge problem because so many people are going to read that case study that is backed by the government and just assume that paying an ongoing fee of 2.25% is reasonable. In fact, this exact case study was actually posted on the Aussie Fire Facebook group. I think Captain Fire posted it originally. And most of the professional advisors in the group, because there's, there's plenty of uh, professionals in the group, they also agreed that the case studies were too high. So this is people from the industry that are agreeing, as well as the fire community. I mean, us in the fire community, we're huge tight asses. So that might, you know, some people listen and be like, well, you guys think everything's expensive. But no, even the professionals were saying, you know, and I've got the screenshots. They're saying that the the advice, sometimes the advice and the case studies on the website are rubbish. And you can read the the screenshots if you go to to the blog post. But as most of us know in the fire community, Fees play an enormous part in your wealth creation journey. And a great explanation of this can be found on the Passive Investing Australia's website. He's got an article and it's it's got the title of How 1% Fees Cost You a Third of Your Nest Egg. And I've linked to that article. You can check it out. I'm not going to go through it here. So my question is, and it's just so frustrating, how on earth did the responsibility of not being ripped off fall to a bunch of content creators without any formal education in finance. 
It's almost as if ASIC wants to normalize these fees so AFS license holders can still profit after paying an arm and leg in regulatory costs imposed on them by the very same organization. I wonder what would happen if the majority of the population become financially literate and stop paying these high fees. One could speculate that ASIC's main source of revenue would dry up pretty quickly. But that, of course, is just speculation. The end of Ask Firebug Fridays. These new guidelines have already claimed a few scalps in the fire community, and Ask Firebug Fridays will, unfortunately and very sad to say, be added to this list. I started this fire Q&A back in 2018 after getting hundreds of emails from readers and you guys out there listening, and I was putting a lot of time and effort into answering the same question over and over again, and sometimes I'd answer a question that I thought a lot of other people would really like to know, um, first of all, the question and then the answer. So that's the reason why I created it back in 2018. So I thought a, a public Q&A podcast would be able to spread the knowledge a little bit better. The AFF segments are clearly in breach of these new guidelines, which unfortunately means they will have to be removed. I'm going to leave the episodes up for the month of July and then remove them from my podcast RSS feed. Now, if you want to keep an offline copy for yourself, I have a a special link in the article that makes it very easy for you to download them. Basically, it's one page on the Buzzsprout website and you can just go through every episode that you want to you want to keep and you can just click one button and it downloads and you can get them all very quickly. The Aussie Firebug podcast will be restricted to the interview style format which will focus primarily on the journey mindset and life philosophy and I'll have to tiptoe around discussing specific financial products unfortunately so we'll see how it goes. Is there anything we can do about this? If we want to make real change, we need to communicate our message and how upset we are with these new guidelines to the legislators that make the rules. Stephen Jones is the federal member for Whitlam and the Minister of Financial Services. He has real power over how the legislation is written. ASIC merely enforce the law. They don't actually make it. Email in his office, or, or even better, would be writing into his office, is probably our best bet. I don't really know another way. If you guys are listening, any anyone in law that um, you know suggests another way, hit me up, definitely. In the article, I've got his email address. I've listed his publicly, um, like his public office email address. Uh, but if you're on a computer or smartphone, I've actually got a link in the article that will automatically open the email client either on your smartphone or your computer with his email address already in the to field and a little subject and a little like starting starting the body message. It just makes the important fields already be pre-filled and it's a little bit easier. So I've got a special button on the article for the blog post that you can click that will generate that first sort of template of an email. And if you are going to email or you're going to write to Stephen to uh, voice your concerns and voice your frustrations with these new guidelines, I think some key points you want to include are to introduce yourself and the issue, explain why this issue is important to you, include an ask. So suggest a change or alternative in the email or letter, be passionate and polite and request a follow-up. All right, let's wrap things up. So these new guidelines, they won't actually affect me or my family that much. I might have to shut down a part-time hobby I enjoy, which is creating content for the Australian fire community, but it's the next generation that I'm worried about. I can tell you right now that if these guidelines were in effect back in 2015, 
I would have never bothered creating Aussie Firebug at all. There's a bunch of teenagers growing up right now that will become interested in their financial future in the next couple of years. Who are they going to relate to? It sure as hell isn't going to be some middle-aged Aussie Firebug that's hopefully blogging about the perils of raising children by that point. The next generation of Australian financial content creators will most likely never appear because of these new guidelines. The finance industry will keep trucking along and there'll be some bigger financial media corporations getting around, but it won't be the same as the independent grassroots movement over the last 10 years. Maybe we'll look back and say that the last decade was the golden age of free-flowing financial information driven by a small bunch of enthusiastic financial nerds on the internet. I hope not, but maybe that's what we'll say. That's the end of the episode today, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Let me know what you guys think. Drop me a comment on the blog or on the Facebook group, and I'll see you on the next episode. Catch ya. Thanks for listening to another episode. For all the show notes, head over to aussiefirebug.com. Never miss another episode by subscribing to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is for educational purposes only. Nothing in this episode should be taken as personal financial advice. You should always do your own research when making any financial decision.